Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Kian Subani. We're recording this on a Tuesday night. It's a two-parter. This is a bit of a bonus episode for all the regular Managing Madrid listeners who aren't on Patreon yet. Uh, we usually only publish the loan tracker for our patrons over at patreon.com slash managingmadrid. Today we decided, you know what, we've never done a free loan tracker before. Let's upload this one for free on the main RSS feed so people can get a taste of what we do on the loan tracker, which is we go through every single Real Madrid loanee who played over the weekend and we discuss their performances. And it's been a lot of fun this season in particular because this is about as fun as a, a season you get for for covering the Real Madrid loanies. So part one, Matt, Wiltsy, and I, we reviewed the loan loanies who played this weekend and uh, and then we answered some questions that were lingering from the weekend, uh, mainly about Manchester City, Sergio Ramos and replacing him in the future, and some transfer rumors regarding Camavinga and uh, and Rainier Jesus, among others. So uh, we did that. And then part two, Sam Sharp and Christopher McCormick do the Castilla review from the weekend. So typically on the loan tracker, we, we tag along part two, which we've been doing lately anyway. Uh, where Chris and Sam, or sometimes only Sam, review the Castilla game from the weekend. By the way, um, we did put a post on patreon.com slash managingmadrid, kind of just explaining that we're making a huge push to get to 1,000 patrons in 2020. We explained why, and uh, we put out a call for suggestions on how to give you guys as much value as possible. Some awesome, awesome feedback on that post. So thank you guys for for uh, for chiming in on those. And we took a lot of those seriously, and uh, we're actually implementing a few of them. So one great idea that our patron Rafael Servia had was to do a thorough guide, a podcast which is entirely dedicated to um, the experience of going to Madrid for a football game. So where to stay, where to eat, which seats to sit in, etiquette, to, you know, kind of that you should follow if you're a Real Madrid fan going to the Bernabeu. And all that, and uh, it's it's one of those podcasts which I think will be timeless to listen to. So, Eduardo Alvarez has already agreed to uh, to help me break that one down. <clears throat> um, other great options or suggestions were, you know, more tactical analysis of the women's team and Tacon, uh, which we really taking to heart. We're just kind of trying to get the resources together to pull it off. So, keep you posted on that. Um, yeah, some great. Great episodes coming up, so make sure you're on patreon.com slash managingmidget to be a part of it because we're really only going to do one free show per week this year. The rest, four to five episodes all over at Patreon, so make sure to join the Army. Anyways, without further ado, this is the Managing Madrid Podcast, part one. Let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. Uh, wonderful lads that do a great job there. And... All right, welcome to part one of the Managing Madrid podcast, where I'm joined by the holder of the fort, the Modric of the Managing Madrid podcast, and that's Matt Wilty. Matt, how you doing? Keon, wow, wow, I'm honored, I'm honored, but no, I, I think uh, everyone did their part this weekend, we had to hold it down for you, because obviously, first off, just congratulations, baby number two. 
Thanks. Yeah, it's been a it's been a whirlwind, and I'm I'm running on purely adrenaline right now, and nothing. Uh, I because I can't really come up with any other logic logic uh, on how I'm awake because it's been no sleep. Um, as you'll soon know, I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, one day when you'll have kids, that uh, the, when you when you bring a newborn, it's just constant, constant um, feeding and waking up, and you know my wife's breastfeeding, so it's not like. I can physically give this this kid milk, but it, it's it's one of those things where you just get up out of you know support yeah. and solid and standing in solitude, uh, just just to make sure you know everything's okay. You know, holding the baby anytime he needs to be held. So uh, every two two three hours you're awake, and the problem is when you're in a hospital, you can't actually rest because even when you shut your eyes, someone random is knocking at the door saying like, "Is everything okay?" A nurse comes in, checks on things. Um, so it's like a, just a completely revolving door of people interrupting any any second you have to sleep. So purely adrenaline. Um, I've I've been able to somehow catch up on everything I basically possibly could with the low knees this weekend. And I watched the rea- basically he, she went into labor right after the rea- the Ramjur game ended. So my <laughs> premonition of just in case giving you the immediate reaction and and doing setting up the podcast like came in came in handy. Uh, yeah so thank thanks again for holding it down yeah no probably i gotta say it was uh it was it was a little different being the host for once it was it was a strange feeling did you enjoy it uh yeah yeah i, I enjoyed it but i, I don't know I, I i like the dynamic we have on the loan tracker i won't lie yeah yeah it's uh it's it's different there there are definitely times where i get called into shows and i really really enjoy it because i'm like you know you get to you you have the a bit more of the microphone and because if you know if, if it's an interview style where they're they're asking you for your opinion, you get more of the mic and then you're done. You just you log off and then you don't have to produce anything. You don't have to edit anything. You just you go home. You or you you know you turn on the TV or do whatever you want to do. There's no yeah. there's no homework afterwards, which is the nice <laughs> part of it. Yeah. All right. So loan tracker stuff. Um, to me, the most logical place to start is um to start with Real Sociedad's. 2-1 loss at home to Villarreal because it was a rare loss for Real Sociedad and a game where Odegaard pretty much did everything he possibly could but he it just wasn't enough to will his team to a victory. So let's start there. Martin Odegaard versus Villarreal. Give me your give me your thoughts. Yeah, I mean this was this was an interesting match cuz it was a tale of two halves. In the first half, Real Sociedad were by far the better team and Odegaard was just, again, brilliant, 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 brilliant. I just can't say it enough. I mean, we get to watch this kid every weekend, and he is so fun to watch. And, I mean, three minutes in, he gets the ball with acres of space, driving at the defense, forcing them to retreat. And instead of picking that easy pass to Porto, what does he do? He surgically threads a through ball down the middle to Oyarza ball. Like, he always pulls off kind of that tougher, impossible pass. And I just thought he looked fresher, like fresher than he normally does, a little bit faster. Obviously, the break helped him. Um, and his hockey assist on the first goal, um, William Jose scored that goal. But he picked up the ball about 25 yards out from goal. Looked like he was going to shoot it. And he's actually facing uh, his body was angled towards the left side of the pitch. So it looked like he would pass it that way. And he, he actually passed it the opposite way. So he passed it to Porto. And uh, Porto pulled off the pass and slid it across goal to William Jose, who knocked it in. But I just, I thought that was an incredible, basically a blind pass. Didn't even, didn't even look. And just another, just incredible performance from, particularly in the first half. 
when I when I was just watching this game, um, I was amazed that they lost it, and I came to the realization that for all their kind of cool, funky touches, nice touches in transition, nice passing, there's some of some of the the sequences of vertical passing from Real Sociedad when they were being pressed were really really nice to watch, and they were able to like kind of end those sequences by getting Odegaard the ball in the most ideal position, and that is running in transition as like the ten. And being able to just run at defenders and have like one one player making a run, a run on the left side, someone else cutting to the right, and he has options and he can shoot, he can pull in defenders. That's the ideal place you want to get him the ball, and that's what they did. Um, ultimately, somehow all of that didn't culminate into enough chances, I think, to to come away with a victory here. And um, you know, Villarreal. I guess we're, we're good at just kind of capitalizing the limited time they had on the ball. Um, you know, Samuel Chikwesi had a really good game and his decision-making I think was pretty on point. Um, I think, I think Odegaard, if just like his performance in a vacuum, I think he did his part. It's one of those, it was one of those games where like, I'm not sure what else he could have done differently. Like you, you already mentioned some of the things he did. Um, he had the hockey assist, but either, is that, is the hockey assist a real thing? Like in hockey, do you actually get an assist for for the you're, the second to last pass of the goal? You're asking the wrong guy. I have no idea. <laughs> Ironically, it's the Canadian who I was asking this question. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I was, I was just curious. Like, do you get, do you get like an assist? Do you get half? You get maybe you get one assist for something, like that, and you get two assists if it's the real assist. I don't know. Um, Listeners, you gotta let us know afterwards. Yeah, someone please. Uh, Please uh, come uh, come in the podcast and correct us and forgive our laziness that we could probably just look this up <laughs> in five seconds. So he he did all that. Um, he was dropping deep to escape the press and, and some of the times where Real Sociedad couldn't get in the ball, he was the ball carrier and getting himself into those good positions. Um, so his, and, and his pressing was pretty good too. His through balls were great. Um, he also was just able to kind of the other thing that he was doing almost single handedly was he would just do these really cool pass and move sequences from deep and work himself up the pitch. And that's basically the best way to break lines. Um, yeah. And this is just a game, I guess they just, they just came up short um, and and they lost two one. Yeah. I feel like Villarreal just turned, I don't know what, I mean, they obviously made some tactical changes in the, in the second half. They turned it on. They were able to keep the ball in Sociedad's half. And I think like you said, Martin just wasn't as involved. He did everything he could, but he just so should die. Couldn't get on the ball as often in the second half. And I think um, Aguasil late in the second half when he put on Isaac and he put on uh, who was the other uh, Yanezai, and he actually moved Odegaard deeper and basically did a two-man midfield. He took off Guevara and put, did a two-man midfield with Moreno and Odegaard. And I actually ah, that that didn't work, unfortunately. I mean. They just didn't have enough numbers in midfield to kind of combat Villarreal, and uh, they just didn't create the chances that they needed to turn that game around. So Real Sociedad obviously lose that game. Um, where do you where do you want to go from here? Let's go with Kubo. Okay. First Granada. All right. What do you got? So this game was actually 5 a.m. my time, so I did not wake up for the initial game, but I did record this and watch it back. And um, you know, it's. It's a shame because Mallorca don't look anywhere as good as they did at the start of the season. I remember when we were watching the first few their first few games, and I was just so impressed with how um, 
disciplined they were tactically. They they really looked really organized defensively, and I, I just thought, oh, this team's going to do well this year. But they've really struggled of late. Um, but I think with Kubo, at least, he was playing where we normally see him on the right wing. And the fun thing about analyzing these low knee matches is you're, you're just constantly watching a single player rather than the whole team. Obviously, yeah. you, you get to see kind of the plot of the game, and you, and you see the team playing, but you, you're focusing on one player more or less the whole time. So with Kubo, when he's within camera angle, I like to see what he's doing without the ball, especially when Mallorca in possession. And when Mallorca in possession, but he's on the weak side, so meaning he's on the side of the pitch where the ball's not. And his tendency is always to drift centrally, come into those pockets in the half space and allow the fullback to overlap him. Um, and I think, I mean, that works really well for him. It gets the best out of his characteristics. He recognizes already at his young age that he's he's just so technically gifted that he can play in those areas. And so for Mallorca, it's just the ball sometimes gets stuck on one side and so they can't find him. But he's always in the right areas, which I, which is great to see. Um and then just overall, I think there was it was no flow or rhythm to Mallorca's attack, to their play. It was just very little personality in their attack. It's just sporadic counterattacks. And so anything that does materialize with a bit more quality, it comes from Kubo's feet. He's similar to Odegaard, that when he gets about 25 yards from goal facing the opposition's goal, he, he always picks the right pass. And so um, I think right now he's shackled a little bit by Mallorca's defensive responsibilities, but... Um, it, it's good to keep in perspective how young he still is and he's getting all these minutes and he's doing the right things out there. So I, I will say this too. Um, I think if you look at Kubo in this game in particular, he he has the ball exactly where you want him to have the ball. Um, he is, he had a ton of touches in the final third. And, you know, and basically on that right side where he can cut in, he can find players making a cutting run in the square pass. He can... He can cross in that position. He can cut it and shoot. He's a really good silky dribbler. He can take wing backs on. There was a certain stagnancy, I think, to Mallorca's attack. And, you know, despite that, he still he found three players in the box that directly led to a shot on goal, one of them from a set piece. Um, but from all the touches, I guess he had in that flank. He didn't, he didn't really find enough space to actually create something really clear-cut. And... Uh, and I and I would like to see him in a more, I guess, fun offensive team. And that this report that report came out um, sometime over the holidays, so I don't think we actually talked about it. But the idea that he might go to Real Sociedad to replace Odegaard if Odegaard comes back in the summer, which ironically was an, a suggestion that we actually floated yeah. around on the Lone Tracker podcast for the confirmation that um, some things are at play and some people are listening to this podcast <laughs> who are on the board, but. Um, you know, it. I guess it, it makes sense. And I mean, if you think about it, they they play similar positions. Although Kubo, you could argue, is much more of a, um, I guess, kind of advanced player than than Odegaard is uh, at this stage of their careers, anyway. So yeah. it makes sense. But um, I, I I don't think he returns to Mallorca regardless because they're probably going down. But it's an it's an interesting solution. But your point remains that um, if he can kind of get in a more fun offensive team, more more moving pieces offensively without the ball. Um, maybe we could see a better version of Kubo. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, every everything that's good from Mallorca, every like positive attacking play, it comes from his feet. So he's establishing, establishing himself there. So 
Um, we'll see. I think he's definitely going to be a guy that's a multi-year loan project, similar to Odegaard, and uh, hopefully, maybe he does a two-year loan at the next team if it's Sociedad. So we'll see. Um, Atletico Madrid versus Levante on the weekend. Um, hella boring to watch Atletico play. Yeah. Always is. Always will be. Um, I think I think I could count maybe on like two two digit two fingers on my on one hand how many times I've actually enjoyed them playing. One of them was against Real Madrid, which is because it was default and I had something invested in into the into that game emotionally. And then the other one was, I believe, the game against Real Betis, and that's only because Real Betis will generally make any game fun. Um, it's laborious to watch Jao Felix play because he's the most expensive player in, in the world, but his entire contribution these days is just to defend, play a couple brilliant through balls, and and maybe miss a few chances that he should be taking. But uh, we kind of digress on that point. We're talking about it because Borja Mayoral was in this game. And what a weird, I guess, game for him for for Paco Lopez, kind of his decision-making and stuff and how he dealt with everything. But Mayoral starts this game. Surprisingly, Morales is on the bench because um, Morales, you know, is is not necessarily a shoo but he kind of plays plays most of the games, especially the bigger games. And Mayoral starts this game, doesn't really do anything noteworthy. He, you know, some good pressing sequences, couldn't draw past Trippier on that flank. He had 16 touches at halftime and then was taken off at halftime for for Morales. So that's what I got in this game. Um, if you have anything to add, please. No, I don't. Okay. I, it was another one of those games from Mayoral where just nothing really noteworthy happened for him. Um, that might be... Oscar. Oh, Oscar. Oscar yeah, Oscar's yeah. The, the other one. Um, so Leganis... Um, who am I? Bl- why am I blanking? Valladolid. Valladolid. We the Valladolid. <laughs> yeah, that, that it's this should have been at least four rounds of Lonis in this game, but it's Valladolid, so we all know how that story goes. But um, what do you have on Oscar in this game? So this was actually a really fast-paced, frenetic, and kind of intense game. Uh, it was it was really fun, especially the first half. In um, literally the first minute, Oscar had a he had a strange opportunity that he created. He basically. He took a shot that nearly goes in, but the technique he used was just completely unorthodox. He he basically passed it, like passed it almost into the corner, and it was a slow, slow, slow rolling ball, but it was so well placed that it almost went in, and it, it caused Masip a lot of problems. Um, and so Leganes actually played a 5-3-2 in this one, and Oscar was one of the three central midfielders, and he roamed out a lot to kind of that right wing to get some crosses in. And again, he looked good. Um, not too much else noteworthy besides that early shot. Um, he connected well with Braithwaite and El Naziri. We were just constant outlets on the counterattack, and it worked really well for Leganes in this game, actually. Um, and so it was an important point for them, and um, hopefully we'll see. I mean, they're improving, and apparently it's Leganes and Granada who are in for Vallejo, so we'll see if he ends up at one of those two La Liga spots. Personally for us, I'm hoping it's Leganes just so it's easier to put two loanies together right um i would i would agree with that um i i could be wrong because i i watched this and i only saw one replay of it because i was actually in the hospital at the time and it was it was during downtime before i get judged it was nap time um for for vital or sorry leganis's first goal after four minutes 
Was it? Not, I I believe it was Oscar who who helped win possession deep on the left flank, um, and then eventually Nasiri gets a nice square long pass to Braithwaite. But I I can't remember. Um, I don't know if you remember, but uh, I'm envisioning the goal, and I envision El Naziri going down the line, but I can't yeah. remember. It, it happened Oscar at the very top of the play when yeah. they they initially win the ball. Um, Leganes barely touched the ball in this game, and Oscar just played. 79 minutes he didn't play the full 90 and still his 56 touches were the most of anyone on the team um so that was just just an interesting thing to note um didn't see much of the ball didn't play the whole game still had the most touches but you know Leganes are a team that have uh much to my skepticism have improved under Aguirre which is nice yeah, to see because uh their their talent was was too good to be where they were so um this is might be off the top of my head might be the shortest loan tracker segment we've ever done because it's uh well we'll just we'll just go through it really quick um Valladolid boys never they didn't play they never do play um Luka Zidane in a nil-nil draw against Mirandes actually had a really great game he saved two brilliant shots with his with one hand one of them was a penalty um Jesus Vallejo doesn't play um so he didn't play and uh, reports that Real Madrid are really looking to terminate that loan deal ASAP, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast. Regulon was suspended, um, yep. so he didn't play. One interesting thing to note there, um, I would have expected Escudero to start there, but he didn't. Cariso actually moved to left back. And, uh, you know, actually, uh, Ander Kappa basically just torched Cariso on that entire left flank that Regulon would have been um, for athlete, Athletic's goal at, at the Pijuan. So Regulon obviously would have helped. but um, So he didn't play. Ashraf hasn't, didn't play this weekend because the Bundesliga is still on vacay. Yep. Ceballos in the squad. He was in the squad today for Arsenal, but didn't make it off the bench. Yeah, and um, you know how I saw Luka Zidane's penalty save? No. Zidane posted it on Instagram. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then on Ashraf, I just want to point out that uh, he won the uh, African Youth Player of the Year yeah. award. Yeah, I saw that. That's awesome. Um, I didn't. That's funny that Zizu posted that shameless plug from Zinedine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Alberto Soro had an assist um, in a win over Sporting Gijon. Should have had another one, but. Um, Someone missed a breakaway where he passed the through ball to. Uh, that's it, I think, for the lonely. So that's why it was a bit of a shorter thing. Just people on break, people suspended, people injured. So um, we're going to move to questions now. Uh, some questions left over from the weekend, and so we're, we'll take those. So they'll be all over the place. They, they won't necessarily be loan tracker related, but we'll take them regardless. Brennan Powers, our patron. By the way, if you want to pledge, get guaranteed responses to your questions, go to patreon.com slash managingmadrid. Go there and pledge. Brennan Powers, our patron, says, what are we going to do when Ramos can no longer play? We'll truly miss not only his leadership skills, but just as importantly, his ball-playing ability. He would have been very useful with the way Hatape were pressing. It's unlikely Varane and his ball-playing will improve um, to Ramos's level. Can Militao even bring this, or will we have to look... Out of house, De Ligt could fill those shoes, but is there any other player? Um, well, first, I mean, I think Varane's ball playing skills are phenomenal. Uh, first off, so, um, but with Ramos, I think I think 
I mean, obviously, there always comes a time when these legends move on, and it's going to be hard once we lose Ramos, but players will step up. And I, I thought Militao played really well against Hatafe, even though even though there were some moments where he maybe looked a little clumsy on the ball, and obviously Hatafe's press was difficult to deal with. But I think he is hopefully the long-term successor. If not, um, and there will always be other players who rise through. I don't think, honestly... Personally speaking, I don't think Delict will ever be a Real Madrid player. I think he's got his heart set on Barcelona. If he ever, when he leaves Juventus, so I don't, I don't think Madridistas should get their hopes up with him. It's interesting, like whenever these legends retire or they they get close to the end of their their playing career or their peak, um, there's always this question of how do we replace it. And oftentimes, to me, the answer is just you you can't, and it's it's hard to do. They're generational for a reason. And I'd say sometimes you just luck into replacing them and sometimes you don't. I mean, with with the end of Hierro and Sanchez, it took years for Ramos to come in and it took years for Ramos to become Ramos, like the Ramos he is now. Uh, we got lucky in the Butragueño phase where Raul came in as a teenager and, and you know, that, that was a really good transition. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo hasn't been replaced and I don't think he'll be replaced for a long time. I think with, with Ramos... Um, I think it's interesting to note that Varane is, is awesome and he's still only 26. It feels like Varane's been around for so long, but he's only 26. And to me, we have yet to see his best yet. If you think about it, Sergio Ramos, like really at the age of 30, he started to really become, start turning into like this. You, you could see him morphing into a legend. Big goals, huge defensive performances in Champions League finals and knockout phases. Um, I think Varane is going to improve. I I don't think he is the finished version of Varane yet. I think Varane has a good head on his shoulders. I think he's he's leadership pot- um, potential. I think he's going to be really good. I think he's been great. I think we've we've yet to see the best of him. I like Militao from what I've seen so far. I don't I don't know if he's going to be you know on that level, but you know it's it's a good step in the right direction. But um, it's one of those things. That I think maybe I think it, I think we've become a little more patient with Varane. We're really going to see him turn into a legend if we we stick stick it out with him i mean that that performance against atafe was a sergio ramos like performance from veron yeah it was he was really good uh marin myrtle says happy new year to all of you the new year's podcast reminded me that one of my favorite moments of the year was he shocking everyone by starting isco against psg to me that moment was the moment when zidane said i'm back for real it made me wonder, what's the most unexpected lineup we could put out against Manchester City that might actually work? Leaving aside whether you should or should risk it, just for fun, what's the wildest lineup and strategy you should or would put out there to baffle Pep and his careful planning? Hmm. Uh, this is a tough one. I think maybe just in terms of surprise, I don't know that I would do this, but just in terms of surprise, um, maybe you go with like a four-four-two and line up Jovic and Benzema together. Um, have two-way working wingers if you can get Hazard to play the way he did against Sevilla. Uh, maybe Bale on the other flank or Rodrigo, and then you work uh, two two engines in Casemiro and Fede Valverde. Maybe maybe that could work. It's been interesting because in the last little bit, essentially after Real Madrid were drawn against Manchester City, I've been on a marathon of just watching Manchester City games. And um, one of one of my, my takeaways amongst many was that 
I think when people came out of this and said, well, City are a mess defensively, they're missing Laporte, um, who will be back for the for that Real Madrid game, by the way. Um, well, I think they have a lot of defensive holes. Some Part of me thinks that it was a bit overblown. Um, <clears throat> when Laporte comes back, some of their issues get solved. Um, maybe they'll move Fernandinho back to the defensive midfield position because he's just better than Rodri at that at, at this moment. And by the way, Fernandinho even at the back is just incredible. Um, he could do so much. He does just so many things. Um, their transition defense is awesome. And it and um, they can get back into position really quick no matter who they have back there. Offensively, they're just incredible. Like uh, one of the friends of the show, Jose Perez, who works for, um, between the posts and does some other analytical work, posted a couple of graphs over the weekend just about how dominant Manchester City's attacking like five players are Jesus, Aguero, De Bruyne, um, Mares, and Bernardo Silva, David Silva. They're all like just leading the Premier League by miles in terms of um, like a combination of shot volume, quality of shots, passes into the final third, passes into the box. They're so incisive. <coughs> Excuse me. And they're, they're just so good offensively that, you know, you maybe you see that kind of like we'll just score more than you kind of back and forth really fun thing. I still think Real Madrid. I'd say it's fifty fifty, but if I had to really um, kind of hedge one way or the other, I'd say Real Madrid would be slight favorites. Not according to the bookies, just according to me. I think they can. They have all the tools to punish them, and their defense still isn't that good. So, um, but one thing that I took away, Matt, in terms of all this, was that by far the most successful team against them in this stretch of like games recently have been the Wolves. And one of the things that they've done and that I'm surprised not many people have done, and this goes back to Pep at, yeah, at Barca too, when he had Busquets in that role. Wolves men mark Rodri off the ball constantly, and they just destroy Metro City's buildup. And one of the dominoes of Rodri not getting the ball in good positions to help escape a press was that the, the supply to De Bruyne also got cut off, and he was quiet in that game. Um, and also Wolves, their, their 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 most valuable method of just bypassing City was, and their press was that just play the really quick long ball over the top, over their high line, where someone like Varane or Ramos could easily play that ball quickly because they're technically gifted enough. And with the pace of... Um, Hazard, Bale, or whoever you want to put there, um, I think they could they could do some damage there. So I, I don't know what exactly what Zidane would do, but just based on what I've seen, I think if they can figure out how to escape that press really quickly, bypass their high line, and uh, and kind of just limit City's ability to to counter press and get back in transition, I think they can really hurt really hurt them. Um, so I don't know. There's still a long way to go. February is a long ways away in football, so I don't I don't have much else to to add, but something something to look to look forward to and just kind of examine the form of both teams it's interesting uh ian marley says i follow a lot of sources and transfers and i have a good feeling for which ones seem legit the one i've recently noticed a lot is renier jesus um, i heard he followed a lot of real Madrid players and his coach said something about him being sold my thoughts are this why on earth would we, we be after him? He does have some talent on him, but he's not elite. He seems to operate well as an attacking midfielder, a type of player we don't really need, and we have so many talents. It just feels like we might be in the danger of just clamoring for any shiny jewel in the market if the rumors are true. So I, I actually did a thread on 
kind of Madrid's youth policy a couple of months ago on Twitter, and I retweeted it this last week or so with all these rumors about Reina Jesus. And honestly, let's say, so Madrid now has spent close to just under $400 million for 19 players under the age of 23. So let's just put a hypo- hypothetical situation out there, and let's say out of that 19, only three make it at Real Madrid in six to seven years' time. Personally, I think it'll be a lot higher than that. I think it may be six, seven, eight. But let's just say for, for this situation that only three make it at Real Madrid. And so one ends up being a Ballon d'Or podium-type player, one's just a Real Madrid starter, and one is just a rotation squad player. So not even factoring in inflation, a Ballon d'Or podium player at the 24 to 25, 26 age range age range would probably fetch around 200 million if not more and a real madrid starter probably averages around 75 million and then for a squad player let's say 35 million so that total value right there is 310 million that's a delta of about 70 80 million from the initial investment that you put down for all these 19 players then once you sell those remaining players and let's just say Really conservative number, fifteen million. It's probably going to be a lot more than that. You're going to make two hundred and forty million total from those player sales. So in the end, Real Madrid makes a profit of close to two hundred million while having a Ballon d'Or level player, and a Real Madrid starting level player, and a strong strong squad player. I mean, from that perspective, when you think about it like that, it makes complete and total sense why Real Madrid is doing this. Um, they recognize that not every single one of these players is going to pan out. Probably most of them won't. But the ones that do, it's going to save them from spending 300-some million like they have to when Mbappe eventually becomes available. Oh, that sounds about right to me. I think you've sold us all on the financial part of it. I mean, if especially once you factor in, let's say, every promising young prospect and every in every... Um, kind of in the past few years, whether it's Asensio for $2.5 million, Odegaard for whatever it was. Was it $30, 40000000 million? I can't remember. Four, $4 million for Odegaard. Oh, was it four? Yeah. Uh, yeah, my mind my, my was thinking about Vinicius, who was like a bit 50, 60 or something. And then Rodrigo yeah, was... Yeah, yeah Rodrigo was uh, something. I don't know. I'm getting all these numbers way off now that you're correcting me. But... Um, <laughs> I got it in front of me. <laughs> once, you, once you factor in all these numbers and you average them across the board... Um, there's no way they're really losing money on any of this. Um, the ones that pan out, pan out, and uh, they pay for themselves. The ones that you sell, they've probably increased their value along the way, even even when you factor in for inflation. Um, Asensio, if they sold him now, he'd be, he'd be a huge profit. Um, and you go down the list. But <clears throat> So that's that's the financial side of things. Talk, talk me into the football side of things. Um, making sure you... You don't, I guess, stifle the development of one player to accommodate the other, making sure you get the best out of all of them. How do you how do you balance it? What's what's your thought process on I all that? I think so again, I think the footballing side of it, I think the only thing where Real Madrid may potentially get um hurt by this, and we've kind of seen it with Kovacic, is when maybe they can't play a certain player and they have to end up letting him go or he wants to leave or whatever it is and they lose out on one of these talents and they actually end up being just a Ballon d'Or or whatever it may be. They go to that next level and Real Madrid ends up regretting 
regretting losing one of these players. I think that's the only thing where this can really come back to bite them in the ass. But from a sporting perspective, even if like even if again only two or three of these players work out, it makes it it's worth it. It's a hundred percent worth it, and you're getting the players you're getting the players you need for that position for close to a, a decade. I think like. I think you also have to kind of be okay and accepting of the fact that you may not get every decision right. You may not keep the right player every time. You may sell the you may sell the wrong player. Um, you may also sell a player that could have been really useful, but you may just win anyway, which kind of happened when Di Maria was sold, and the team went on to win you know a historic amount of trophies in a, in a, in a short time period. <clears throat> I also often think about like. You know, we had the equivalent of this for the wing back, wing back positions, and we still do because it's a stacked position. But ultimately, you know, a few years ago, you were looking at Teo Hernandez, and you were like, "Man, this guy is awesome." Um, scored a free kick against Barcelona in the Copa del Rey final. It's a tank, ball carrier, so strong he can just kind of plow through and like a bowling ball offensively. Yeah. And then you can, and then you're like, so, and then you start signing Odriozola. You promote Atraf. Um, you know, you sign players like Mendy. You like you start, you start accumulating all these assets in this in this position of of the wing back, and then you kind of like ultimately you, once you filter through it, the 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 best player kind of just wins out. I'd say like the worst of the bunch probably ended up being Teo. Like when you you start to track his progress, um, in terms of his footballing IQ. Now, I mean, I haven't watched Milan play much this season. Um, from what I hear, he, apparently he's had a good season, so I'm happy for him. But you know that that doesn't mean he's he would have been a good Real Madrid player. My point yeah. is, ultimately, I think talent will win. And if you have to filter a bunch of players, it's uh, it's essentially a trial, right? Like what happens when, um, you know, someone like just to give an example at a local level, Toronto FC had had tryouts, open tryouts a few years ago. Like thousands of kids show up, thousands of players show up. Ultimately, I think like one player made the squad. Um, it's kind of like the same thing. Like it's it's almost a trial. Like you you accumulate all these assets, and if you're good enough, you're good enough. You make it through. It doesn't mean if you're competing with a great player or not so great player. If, if you are the best player of the bunch, you'll make it. Um, it's kind of my thought process on this. Um, when it becomes really, I think, really hard to juggle is when. You have them in the A squad, <clears throat> and they're not playing much, and and you might stifle their development. When they're out on loan, it's not it's not so much of a big deal. But I would also say like, I'm okay with players getting frustrated and, and kind of stifling some ta- and some talent in kind of a selfish way as long as the team wins. Because I remember that during that 16-17 season, where all the noise, even though Real Madrid had one of their best seasons in the club history, a lot of noise was like, well. We, why aren't we playing Hamas and Morata? Why aren't we playing Hamas and Morata? Why aren't we playing Hamas and Morata? And like, this is frustrating. We should be developing them. They should be playing more. They should have made the bench on the Champions League final or whatever. And I'm like, ultimately, if that price, that's that, if that's the price for winning a Champions League title, sign me up. Like, I don't, yeah. who, who, isn't this why we, isn't this the whole point of doing <laughs> yeah. this? Is yeah. like, so like along the way, you piss off some players, you piss off some fanboys, and you win it trophy like i'm totally okay with that um because the team trumps everyone but you know so that's that's the that's the logic that i think about when i'm thinking about accumulating all these assets it's like eventually talent wins the best player rise to the top and the ones that aren't good enough you probably make a profit off of and if you average it up average it out completely 
you definitely don't lose any money is the way yeah. I see it. Yeah, I agree. Isn't it kind of the same, like, now to use another American sports reference? Um, you know, in the NBA during the draft, they always say draft based on talent and not based on need. Um, it's kind of the same idea because if, like, let's say you have a great point guard and the the best player in the draft is this po- uh, elite point guard and not a center, which you need, well, you, you usually just take the point guard anyway because you can't miss out on that transcendent talent because it might yep. alter the, the fr- your franchise completely. Exactly. So that's, yep. that's kind of, it's kind of a similar parallel, I think. Yeah. <coughs> Last question is from Kunal Tilakar before we move to part two. Uh, Kunal says, what do you think of the Kamavinga rumors? I heard that we're planning to spend big time on him. Uh, what are your opinions of him? So I really haven't seen much of Kamavinga. I know that there have been rumors, uh, especially from France. Um, for those who aren't aware of him, he's a 17-year-old defensive midfielder playing for Lens in France, and he's just statistically just been, from what I've seen, an absolute beast. Um, he's topping the charts in a lot of key categories like tackles, uh, interceptions, and um, honestly, I don't know enough about him to say anything. I, I think it's an interesting prospect considering um, the gap between he and Casemiro, though if we were to sign him, let's say hypothetical situ- situation where we were to sign him, I think we we should immediately loan him back. He's not the person I would uh, sign to be a backup to Casemiro right now. He just needs to keep playing. I have not seen this kid play at all. So I don't I don't have much to say. I feel kind of inadequate commenting on it. <clears throat> um, so that's that's where I stand right now. That's it. <laughs> um, but if 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 this becomes real, it seems I don't know. It seems real enough to at least consider like at some point we'll probably have to do a scouting report on him and yeah. and figure out you know how good he is and stuff. I've seen YouTube clips. That's about it. Um, all right, this was fun, Matt. This was the first loan tracker of 2020. Started off with a bang. And uh, we will have we'll be very busy. So obviously tomorrow there's uh, Real Madrid against Valencia in Saudi Arabia. The Spanish Super Cup begins. Uh, we'll we'll track all that. If you want access to that, go to Patreon.com/slash/ManagingMadrid to get access to that show, among mon- many others, um, to to hear our post game thoughts on that. So Matt it was really fun. Thanks so much. And hello Madrid. Hello Madrid. Hello and welcome to the. Managing Madrid Castilla segment podcast. We don't have a nice alliterated name like Managing Madrid. We just have the Castilla segment. We need someone to give us a nice alliterated name. So if anyone's got any bright ideas, please do let us know. So today by Castilla staff himself, Sam Sharp. How is it? And our friend from Norway is not here, unfortunately. He had to Mm. work. The trio is uh, disbanded for now. Yeah. I'm sure he'll be back, and he's not—he's not missing out on much, considering how <laughs> this game went. So, we're just gonna do a quick—we're gonna start off with a quick match review of the Meia game, where Castilla lost two-one at home. Uh, it, despite the result, it was quite a good performance, which I think we're getting used to saying. How many times have we said that? I yeah. don't know. I can't. I—I've lost count now. It just keeps <laughs> happening. But, yeah. Generally, Castilla see out these home games, particularly against a side that they'd be considered worse, like better than, definitely better than me. They're one of the worst teams in the league, as mm. uh, Ruben was saying in our group chat. So I suppose we'll kick off with what you think went wrong in that game. 
I think, again, I I should have come with some stats, really. If I had the time, I would have. But I wonder how many games Castilla have not necessarily thrown away, but they've, they've come into it, performed well, and they haven't got the result that they wanted. Um, I think that's something I'm going to try and find out either for next time or, or some sort of match report in the future. Um, in terms of what they are doing wrong, it's, it is so difficult to determine just from the naked eye. I'm really not sure because, as you said, they were playing well. Uh, I don't know. It tends to be in the second half. I don't know if that means anything, that they, they just get too complacent towards the end against all the, the not even the small teams, some of the bigger teams that have also uh, come back from behind in the second half. I'm unsure what is going wrong, but it certainly is a trait that, it seems to be wrong with Raul's team specifically. Yeah, I noted, I think in the, like, it was 10 minutes between their equaliser and their uh, their kind of uh, winning goal. Mm. But, like, I was thinking between those two goals, like, who does Raul bring on now to try and get us back into this game or try and win this game? Mm. And, uh I came up blank. I can't think of. I couldn't think of anybody who was going to like come up and score a goal apart from the fellas he had on the pitch already. He brought and, um, Rodrigo on, and Rodrigo did score. To be fair, which was a goal that was disallowed. Do you? Yeah, that, should we talk about that? Yeah, that I think that was kind of that was classic though. I mean, offside. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking offside goal, and then nearly score from a corner in the last minute. That's generally how those games go. They always kind of end. They don't end in a. Did you catch a replay of the offside goal or the goal given as offside? Uh, I didn't properly go. I think what was conspicuous about it is that Rodrigo was onside, but I think I think it was Javier Hernandez or, or Gila, a centre-back, was offside in front of him. Um, but they didn't play the ball. They, they weren't really involved in the play at all. They didn't cover any vision of the keeper or defenders. So it was quite, I don't know, it was a dodgy goal to, to disallow. Yeah, I think there was a wasn't there a penalty appeal as well in the first to half. Be fair on that one, I didn't actually get a be- the best replay of that one, but it didn't look at first glance like I would have given it if I was a referee. Um, I generally, yeah, I generally just trust the commentators because or trust the referees <laughs> because okay, the commentators yeah. are always saying, regardless <laughs> yeah. of what it is or how it looks, they always say that should that Got was <laughs> should have been a free kick or a penalty or something like that. Yeah, I for love sure, it. But yeah. it it kind of it turns you off the replays because I'm like I'm sure it's nothing. <laughs> yeah, no, this goal should have been it should have been allowed. I don't know why it was not given. Obviously, it was an offside call, but it was incorrect. Um, so Rodrigo, that would have been his first goal for Castilla. I think um, he's obviously been injured for more than half of the season. He's coming back into it very, very slowly. Um, he would add goals, I think, at his full fitness, but he has never been there for Castilla so far. Yeah, I was. It was funny as well that the Castilla are kind of mirroring the A team as well in terms of their problems. <laughs> yeah, they can't can't find a goal scorer. Um, anyways, so that leaves us hanging on to safety by a goal difference. However, we do have a game in hand because one game was suspended for weather. Was it weather? It was weather, and it was the only game in the entire group. So it's just us and Celta Vigo B that are uh, a game in hand. Yeah, so we played Celta Vigo B away on Wednesday. They're generally kind of a a tricky fixture to play, but mm. this season they have not been good at all. I think they're they're kind of very comfortable in that relegation spot. So I don't know. I suppose we can look at that game. We have to win it in my eyes. I think if we don't win that game, then we can start ringing the alarm bells in terms of uh, <laughs> this year going this season. 
So well, I, think, I hope it's nothing to do with the R word. Yeah, well, I, I, I was looking at the, I was just looking at the table, and Celta Vigo B are on nineteen points. So if we lose that game, that we'll whole relegation them, yeah. battle suddenly just crunches mm. in on Castilla, and not. I mean, it's. I think it's a massive jump to say that you know if we lose this, we're going down, but it makes it a huge amount un- more uncomfortable than it needs to be. Yeah, for sure. I, again, I've, I've always said I don't think they're ever going to have a problem with that simply because they play so well. They they do play well. Their performance has been higher than it was last season when they made the playoffs. Um, even the season before that, obviously, under Solari, this has been mostly performance-wise, game by game, has been better than any game under Solari. So it's, it's not a bad time. It's just the results. And it's something that I think we should look into in in quite depth in the next few weeks they just haven't been going Castilla's way at all yeah I can't I mean it's just a point we're going to be repeating but I just can't think of a game where Castilla have played horrifically yeah Mm. that they deserve (laughs) yeah you know I think they've played a couple of games they deserve to lose but um, yeah 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 for sure did lose but like largely yeah I think I don't think the position is reflective of where it should be I think at half time, I don't know if you would agree with this, but I thought obviously the centre backs didn't have very much to do. Melila had two chances come their second goal and they scored both of them. So disregarding the centre backs from that, I think every single player was almost at their very best. If you wanted a scout to come and watch you as a, as a Real Madrid football player, you would come to this game because every single player, bar Miguel Baeza, who I didn't think got up to very much, was fantastic, I thought. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Mm. Um... Lopez was having a great Sergio game. Sergio Lopez, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, Pedro Ruiz, obviously, he's uh, he seems to be the first choice number nine now, after, mm. uh, especially with this goal. Uh, yeah. Franchu was fantastic. Yeah. For some reason, uh, I think Phil K- Kitchen-Rolides was commentating on Real Madrid TV, and he like transitioned from Franchu's nickname to his full name, <laughs> like halfway through the first half. And I, for a moment, I thought he was talking about a different player. Oh, nice, yeah. And uh, yeah, but anyways, he he played uh, very well, regardless. Um, who else played? But Fidalgo. Had yeah, Fidalgo, Fidalgo game. as always. Yeah, Marvin Park, I thought was on it. Um, obviously, he was fouled for the supposed penalty shout. Yeah, and yeah. he was mm. he worked so hard. But there was like, I think I put it up in the group chat the amount of distance they must cover in terms of running. Yeah, to like press up and get win the ball where they win it. It's just yeah, it's stunning. It's kind of straight. Yeah, yeah, it's a big trait from from Raúl's sides. He's he's not a bad manager. I don't know what's going wrong for him. Yeah, that's yeah. It's it's weird. I never. It, I suppose when I think back of when he started I didn't I don't think this is how I would have imagined a Raul team to play I, I suppose it's hard to take from a playing uh, this good he's a good example of this but I suppose it's hard to take from playing career and managerial style uh, I never I never would have expected such kind of this organization and the pressing and the, yeah I get you yeah to be fair what did you think they would play like that's interesting I don't know I thought I thought it would be a lot more direct yeah uh, yeah, a, a bit more physical, aggressive kind of. I thought he would have played a little bit more like the Sugu Sugu in the B side rather than. Yeah, he's, playing, he's certainly playing a more technical game, which we associate with the higher division. Sure. One thing we never know about Real Madrid though is perhaps he is forced to by uh, coaches in the A team by Zidane himself. You never know. That's true. Yeah, I mm. don't, 
because they're not too they're not dissimilar but there are certain traits that you can tell Raul has brought to this team that that other managers just don't uh, bring 100% uh so I, even looking past uh, Tobago B and also yeah. why I'm slightly concerned <laughs> is the upcoming fixtures we have Las Rosas we have uh Mariano de Luciano I think that's that's their name <laughs> uh, don't quote me on it I'm, I'm trying my best yeah. we do have another team in between and we have Peña Deportivo as well uh, more, two of those sides in the relegation scrap uh, One Peña Deportivo are good for some reason <laughs> they're seventh and then uh, Mariano are 13th so only a couple of spots above Castillo on paper it's fixtures you'd expect Castillo to win However, yeah. they drew with Las Rosas earlier in the season. They lost to Peña Deportivo. They did beat Mariano. Uh, so you just, I don't know. <laughs> I think one thing you can definitely expect is for each team to come up to either the Di Stefano or, or Castillo Trevor there. And however they play, it's not really going to be that impressive, even if they carve out a result. Yeah, I think... <laughs> yeah. And, you know, put, I suppose we can put the Melilla game aside in terms of, like, the sample size we've seen of Castilla. The big positive is is that Las Rojas and Peña Deportivo, the two games which we failed to win in the reverse picture, are both at home this time. And Castilla at home are just a different beast to Castilla away. So, yeah, I I, I think all should be well. <laughs> I I, uh, I wouldn't put my life on it, but I cross those we, fingers, man. Yeah, fingers <laughs> crossed, all will be well. So, uh, one big question then, results-wise, if Castilla, they're not going to get relegated. I, I don't want to say that positively. No, I think yeah, I think that's early that's a small I, chance. But yeah. let's say they they still finish quite low in the table, thirteenth, um, fourteenth place. Do you think Raúl? I mean, he will keep his job. I think we can establish that. Do you think he should? Yeah, one hundred percent. Oh really? Think, yeah, one hundred percent. I I think, and you know, you said it earlier. I think we might finish lower than we have done previous seasons, but in terms of how they've played, it's the best I've seen them play. Yeah, I I think so on a consistent basis. I think the only thing that would see him fired is relegation because that would be detrimental. Like they wouldn't be able to, even if they played well in the fourth tier, it would be pointless for most of these players. What tier even look like? The fourth is, tier, is there, I, I just presumed <laughs> I just presumed that there isn't a fourth tier and it's just a void in which it, well kinda... it is a void it's more than yeah. 80 teams I think there's like at least <laughs> a hundred and something in yeah. the in the tier so it's it's really local like you will meet players that have played in in the fourth tier because it's just their local teams yeah that would be a disaster I don't yeah but even like this is just, <laughs> I feel like we're jinxing it even talking about it I think we should be we'll be fine yeah I, they, they are going to be fine I'm adamant at this but they them lingering there doesn't give you an easy feeling no it's and especially <laughs> now that Wednesday's game has a stake on it and yeah I mean, I'll tell you like, what if they lose that game, then we can start sweating, I think. Yeah, we might have to do an emergency Castilla podcast. <laughs> yeah, for sure, actually, yeah. So early in our history as well, like the third <laughs> episode would be an emergency relegation podcast. <laughs> Please don't make us do that, Raul. Oh, bizarre. How bizarre. Yeah, but like, it, it, and it's just what I was going to say was that in recent past with these playoff games and certain like last season when they had the chance to go top so many times and they'd always draw or lose, it, you don't have a lot of confidence that... Castilla can win these big games, hence why I'm slightly concerned. 
but the like I said, the bright side is that they have a track record of beating teams that are notably worse than them. And South of Eagle are one of those sides. Yeah, are- and I, again, <laughs> Raul is building. Why wouldn't fire him if he finished fourteenth or fifteenth? Is because he's he's improving ever so gradually, but so are the team as well. Um, so I I think it would be a wasted project to to let him go. But I also think they're going to be fine simply because some of that build is going to happen before the end of this season. I th- I think they're going to be fine. They'll finish even mid-table. I don't think they're going to strive for playoffs or anything like that. That would be the, the other extreme to predict something mental. But I think a mid-table finish is um, expected, the least. Right, I suppose we'll jog on to 2020 predictions. I know the end of year roundtable kind of covered a fair bit of this, but mm. I think it's worth, it's worth kind of going over for Castilla specifically. So I've kind of got the first one here, which is MVP. I'm interested to hear you, who you think will be the MVP come the end of the season. So we, a couple of podcasts ago, I think, I forgot what the question was, whether it was favourite player, best player, who you think will be the MVP. I said uh, Miguel Baeza because he was the top scorer, top assister, probably top performer at that time. It's actually gone pretty quiet for him in the last two months. So in terms of MVP, I think he would be out of, in my head, the race. Um, Pedro Ruiz, however, and I always struggle to say that name. I don't know why, because it ends his first name ends in O and his second name begins in R. Pedro Ruiz. Um, he's evolving game by game, and you can see it. I don't know if he's just kind of working out his size in comparison to some of these clunky men in Division Three. Um, Peasants he walks <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Is, you know? But he's starting to dribble a lot more. He's starting to to kind of link up the play. Yeah. He's trying to drop back and get that ball from midfield. He's also, and this is important, starting to score consistent goals um he scored obviously in the in the was it yesterday's game was it the day before he did, yeah, yeah um but but he's also been scoring in the weeks prior to that um again i what i'll uh, use the statistic that he didn't score in his first 15 games for castilla and now he's got five he's now heading for the double figures club which is a, a pretty coveted club for a, a castilla graduate to to enter um i think he will be the mvp come the end of the season i think he won't just make double figures i think he'll get quite far into that number yeah I, I think we can rift on Pedro Ruiz for a little bit um I was what you were saying about him dribbling I was I was thinking of like a part of the game yesterday where I think it was he or Hernandez just drove the ball through me as midfield into Ruiz and he just took it and turned and it was an incredible it was just an incredible piece of skill that like he's completely at odds with his size, you know. The, you know, he's. <laughs> we've all. I mean, since we saw him live, we've. I think anyone who saw him live was quite taken by just his stature and. Yeah, yeah. You know, it and to see him pull off such a nice, like a nice little technical turn like that, you know, certainly shows what he has in, in his locker and maybe has more in his locker than we had initially thought he had. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm very impressed with him. However. I still think my Miguel Baeza might make a comeback. Get late back season. into it. Yeah, we'll talk but, about that as well because there might be uh, some incomings that might affect even that. Yeah, that's definitely yeah. <laughs> but um, I think in terms of MVP, I'm going to go for Dalgo. Okay. Yeah. 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 Strong choice. I think that's an easy choice. Yeah. I'm, honestly, I mean, he's just a level above. Yeah. He's yeah. He's he has. If he doesn't win the MVP, maybe he must. You have to wonder. <laughs> I mean, it, even wonder. if he did, it would probably be a wasted season. His time to graduate was last summer. So 
anything less than an MVP. And it's almost been a, a kind of, what have you been doing for for a season? Yeah, and I, you know, a common question is always who's coming up. And I think if there is an easy answer currently, Fidalgo is maybe not coming up to Real Madrid, but in terms of a loan out, he's probably going to get that. Now, he should get that next summer. I oh, don't de- how he can. I, they can't retain him again. That would be a joke. That'd be crazy. <laughs> like three seasons since they're going to be. That's insane. Oh, um, nice. But yeah, I think he's probably my easy choice for MVP. Yeah. Uh, I think we've probably already answered the next one, but top goal score. Uh, again, I would. Yeah, yeah, Pedro. Um, unless Rodrigo comes back again, I'm unsure how many goals Rodrigo can get at senior level. Cause we just don't have the sample size. Um, but he is a proven goal scorer, at, at least at youth level. Yeah. Um, I kind of, I mean, we might be accused of being caught in the hype, but currently Pedro Ruiz is the only one that actually looks like scoring. scoring maybe French, yeah. maybe French, if French finds one, maybe he's going to, he scores a fair few long range goals, doesn't he? Yeah, and I think there was a cut. There was a he had a chance in the media game which he put into the side net. Definitely, yeah, yeah. And he probably should have scored from that. <laughs> so you you do have to wonder if he can get into those positions, and you know he finds the net once, maybe just it, the dam breaks and he scores. Yeah, yeah, five or six, and I mean with Castilla currently, you only need a couple of goals to. Yeah, it's, it's five is the highest. So so it's not an it's not another world to get through to to try and get that number. Yeah, uh, and then what is it? Surprise player. Okay, I like that one. Um, this show again. <laughs> so you think? I suppose it would be a surprise if he hit a good numbers, double figures plus, um, because he'd be you know following in the footsteps of Mayoral and and uh, who didn't get twenty. Uh, Danny Gomez got double figures and players that will go on to play in La Liga. So that would be a surprise. I'm going to try and go even more shocking than that though. Um, let me just think who is in this squad who is doing very little at the moment. Um, what about Alvaro Bravo? Yeah, that's a good pick. He's played at least one. I think it was even two full seasons in the second division. Pretty highly rated player. If he got the chance, I think Castilla, he can make it his own and um, could really shine in Segunda B for sure. Right. So I'm going to go for Pablo Rodriguez for my surprise of the season i think if he can get a look in into the squad he could uh he could do damage yeah for sure my favorite academy player he's just just so good yeah i i have not watched any youth games in a month <laughs> uh <laughs> just with college and that but i'm you know from the games i did see he was the standout performer and he didn't even play that much rarely no he doesn't it's really strange i went to watch he's, he's, kinda, he's between two squads yeah so, yeah, maybe even did he start at, at the under 19s this year or is he cuz he's not old. He's 17, isn't he? Yeah, he's um I think he's 18 or 19. Oh, he's turned 18. Yeah, maybe yeah. yeah. He's he's at, he's at um LA, so he'd have to be kind of in the 18 18s or over. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, you know, I went to uh a juvenile game uh live actually because we all went to Madrid, you were there. Um, but the Norwegians, uh, we went with the Norwegian Pena and they had uh, a TV interview at Real Madrid TV. So it was just myself and an American called Brandon that went to to watch the 19s play PSG. And Pedro, Pablo, in fact, I was going to say Pedro, Pedro scored and started. Pablo didn't start, but he came on and he still scored. He just like, wherever he goes, he scores goals. Yeah, I I, I do that forever. I confuse Pedro and Pablo all the time. Oh, just... And it doesn't help that they're, you know, Rodriguez and Ruiz. Yeah, I mean, that's, literally. 
there's just no get. Yeah, there's no give. No wonder it's so hard to learn all these players' names. There's at least with like at the end of the 19s, two Pablos that look exactly the same. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, you know, you look kind of you look like an, a bit of an idiot not remembering the names of the players that play on your team. But there's just no, there's they're all <laughs> Spanish and they all have the same name. <laughs> like, yeah, literally. There's no kind of there's no there's not a huge amount of like internationals playing international players playing at Castilla. So it's all the same like Pablos and Pedros and. It's just a conveyor belt, isn't it? Every year, more and more. You need a John or an Adam in there. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love a, a John or an Adam. That would be brilliant. <laughs> uh, right, and I, last question for the 2020 predictions is what would we like to see for the second half of the season? So this is where I'm going to touch upon incomings in January. Um, we are not going to... Obviously, I'm guessing if you're listening now, you have thought at some point about a certain Brazilian that is strongly linked with a club um, and strongly linked with a place in Castilla for the second half of the season. I'm not going to do much about him. We're not going to touch up on him much. Um, but I feel like that is going to happen, that deal for uh, Rainier. How, how are you saying that, Chris? I'm I've gone Renier Hayes. Renier, I, I like it. What we should what we should both do is just if he signs and plays for Castilla, wait for to see what Real Madrid TV say, <laughs> and whatever the, however they pronounce the name, it's the club's official line on how to pronounce Renier. the name, and we'll use that. I like Renier. I think you've got. I a, like Renier as well. I like there's an I, I in there that makes me think that can't be correct, but I'm Renier it must be. A, there's a Ren. stray eye in his name. <laughs> we could just call him. We could call him Jesus. I mean, that's. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe he doesn't go by Jesus. Maybe it's Jesus. Maybe he's proper. Jesus. <laughs> he could be worth his weight in in that kind of title for Castilla. Again, if they bring him in, I think the outlook completely changes. He That's is not a forward, field. but it's going to be fantastic. A lot of money coming in for him. Um, he's an attacking midfielder, so he would be kind of contributing to the offensive slot for for Castilla. But um, I've only seen clips. He looks a little bit more kind of well-rounded, so I'm not sure where he kind of would, would place himself in the Castilla team. Um, but if he was to join, that would change everything. Um, Castilla, we were, we were in a group chat with Ruben, um, and Ruben did some maths yesterday, and he said if we won, if Castilla won the game against Melilla, they could have been close to the uh, playoff place. Yeah, was I think it was like, like, like two points or something. It was within four points of the playoffs, yeah. So if they won that game and then Renier comes in, you're thinking, well, actually, there is now a shot. There's a genuine shot that they may kind of chase a playoff place. They didn't win the game. Renier is not confirmed yet, so we we don't know. But I would say I don't think they're going to get relegated if Renier comes in even more so. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think I don't. It's something we have to talk about because it's just. It's, it seems it's the table. Done. It's the group yeah. this season. Like you're mm. you're game away from promotion or relegation. <laughs> it's, it's mental, it's, isn't it? Yeah. It's bizarre. It, I, it was like this last season as well, especially towards the second half. But um, I, I said to you before recording this that I have I've not done any of my homework on Renier. <laughs> I'm gonna wait and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I do. What I would like to see is our defense improve a bit. So. Presuming that we do not sign another attacker, like I mean, I know Renier is a midfield and I, he contribute a bit more to goals, but in terms, I think Castilla do need a out and out striker, regardless of who we sign in midfield. I think we should take this time to say I think this will be forgotten, but Manu Hernando uh, has left Castilla and joined uh, Racing Santander, so he was Castilla centre half, a strong one. I mean, do you think that makes that more difficult, or yeah, that's 
I, yeah, I hadn't. I actually forgotten about that, and that's like the that's <clears> the last of the. Oh God! Almost yeah. rear guard as well, and that was a. That he was, was a... not playing much though, which was really interesting. And I know Mario Gila has impressed a lot, and obviously yeah, De La Fuente has, De La Fuente has as well. And yeah, for sure. In this season. Yeah, literally. Yeah, so it's <laughs> he's literally had to find a, a way out, and even that's to the league above. So I I agree with you. They he definitely was, need to improve. He was. I mean, for the last two seasons, himself and Javi Sanchez, well, season before last Turkey, him and Javi Sanchez just like owned Strong, that back line. They? Yeah. And they were very, they were mean Sanchez. There, you know? there was one moment in time where they just had a strong defense. They were it. Yeah. yeah. And then last season, obviously, De La Fuente and Sanchez, a bit more so, were the, uh, the two pairing. I think Hernando was injured for a lot of last season. And then when he came back, I think Solari was gone. And uh, oh God, our manager for the second half of the season has escaped my mind. Um, that was don't say that because now I've forgotten. Oh, it was um uh, Manolo uh, Diaz. Yeah, Manolo Diaz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good uh, man. It, yeah, he... one of the best recently. That's really annoying. <laughs> yeah, uh, he kind of he didn't really give Fernando the look in, but no. I think mm. yeah, fair point. I think yeah, that's a big loss for in terms of like the, the second line of defense because Hernando just wasn't getting a look in. No. He hasn't had a look in since that first. And at, at this stage, us. yeah, for sure. And at this yeah. stage, that can't really happen. So yeah, but even I think regardless, Hernandez and here they played yesterday. I think that's a strong back line. I think oh for sure, Hernandez seen, is so impressive. Yeah, Hernandez in particular is a real standout. Um, mm. I think that, and in terms of what's likely to improve in the short term, I would probably I'd go for that back six for we're over like the work that needs to be done up front. I mean, without investment, the back line is what could be worked on. That can be improved. Mm. Yeah, um, sure. And even and even now, it's not that bad. I mean, they've conceded twenty three goals, which I think nine have nine sides have conceded more. Which I suppose it's middling. Yeah, it's not the worst it's ever been. Um, but it certainly isn't as strong as it was a couple of seasons ago. Well, and I, I think that's a coach basis. I think. I don't want to praise Solari, but something around Solari, maybe he had another coach in, maybe it was him indeed. Um, in terms of defence and, and coaching a defence as a unit, it doesn't matter who was playing in Solari's defence, they would be strong. Yeah, I, and Juvenal B didn't have the strongest defensive record either. Um, yeah, exactly. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, even Zidane up until this season wasn't particularly well known for organizing back lines oh for sure yeah it's definitely yeah. A, a specific I think trait it, it's, take, it's something that and especially for a player like raul who's probably thinking how i can exploit this line rather than how can i make it stronger <laughs> yeah yeah um, yeah <laughs> it, it'll be a difficult learning curve but i still think he's got the individuals there to get oh. it right oh yeah um, and yeah. at the moment and even at the moment it's not that bad it's just i i think maybe the and yeah we're we're going back over beaten territory again. I think the main thing that stands between Castilla and having a good back line is Bellman starting consistently or we yeah. are swapping goalkeepers persistently. I mean, yeah. no, Altuve is a huge upgrade on Lucas Zidane. I mean, but <laughs> I mean, and that's not saying much, but it's a stated fact. However, I think there's something to be said to having a, a, a firm number one. And currently it's, it's hit or miss depending on whether Altuve is with the senior team or not. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't like that whole kind of position where the third keeper is now no longer full-time but just taken from Castilla, basically. I, yeah, I often like 
My team, I often look at it as Bellman's the obvious number one, and Altuve plays because he needs to be like captain, kept sharp for a possible first yeah. team. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I don't, don't know why. That, yeah. I don't think that's actually. I'm not sure if that's actually what's going on, but I always like look at it that way. It kind of is. I suppose it comes down to also club favourites as well. Obviously, um, Lucas Dan is in the name. Altuve, I think, is just preferred. Um, so he goes, he gets all the first team opportunities because Bowman, I think, has only ever been in one first team squad. Yeah, I, I mean, it'd be interesting. <laughs> was he was with was he in the Zidane era squad? Uh, what for Castilla? Yeah. Uh, oh, good question. How long has he been around there? I don't think he was. You know, no, he. I think he, I think he came missed it. Yeah, literally just after. Yeah. It's just bizarre. I honestly, I don't get it to be honest. It is no, really it's bad. bizarre how he just doesn't seem to. If you didn't want to play him, then make him the, the full-time third keeper, you know what I mean? Then at least he's, yeah, he's got a role that suits him. Really. Uh, but yeah, I think that that might stand between it. Between uh, Castillo and being defensively solid, especially now that all that experience from the back line is gone. Yeah, yeah, decent. So that's, um, yeah. That's cool. Right. <laughs> is, that the, is that it? Uh, yeah, I've done my brainstorming. There isn't a huge amount to no. cover after that, apart from possible Renier Jesus appearance but we will get to that if he I think if he joins and maybe yeah. when um, we'll, we'll do a separate podcast we'll have a look because Castillo will have played a couple more games by then as well 100% yeah so until then I will talk to you soon <laughs> uh, and we'll uh, we'll record soon no doubt yeah thank have you. a good one guys thank you